With new X series of scratch-offs from the New York Lottery, you can multiply your winnings up to 100 times. The X series from the New York Lottery. It's a better way to multiply. You must be 18 years or older to purchase. Please play responsibly. On this week's episode, I'm joined by guest host and Bills legend, Eric Wood. We have another Bills legend, CJ Spiller, on with us, who currently is Clemson's running backs coach. We dive into the Travis Etienne hype and if he could be on the table for the Bills at number 30. CJ and Eric relive the night they got drafted and playing together on the Bills. Eric tells us one thing you shouldn't wear on the day you fly out to meet set new team you get drafted by. The two also share why a crowded running back room full of studs isn't a bad thing. All that and more on Bill's Pod Squad, which starts right now. Welcome into this week's episode of Bill's Pod Squad presented by the New York Lottery. Maddie Glab here as your host, and I'm joined by guest host, Bill's legend, Eric Wood. You can see him everywhere on Buffalo Bill's platforms as well as you guys already know. And today's podcast, we have another guest, another Bill's legend, full of Bill's legends this week. He's the current Clemson running backs coach, CJ Spiller. Guys, thank you so much for being on with us today. We're just a couple weeks away from the NFL draft, and we wanted to get you both on to talk about just that, some draft memories and a lot more. I want to hear some good stories because you guys played together on the Buffalo Bill's so hope we can get into some of that as well. But first, I just want to know what you both have been up to lately. CJ, we'll start with you. I mean, it's a busy time right now being a college football coach. You guys just checked off pro day off of things going on. And, and I'm sure right now you have a bunch of prospects, a bunch of now former Clemson football players in your weight room, working out and getting ready for the NFL draft that begins on April 29th. So tell us what you've been up to lately and, and how this month and last month has probably been a whirlwind for you too. Yeah, it has. Uh, and thank you, Maddie. Uh, it's, um, it's been crazy. Uh, we actually just wrapped up our spring uh, practice here. Uh, we had our spring game about two weeks ago. So spring ball for us just wrapped up. So it was, you know, practice, uh, meetings, uh, just trying to find ways to, to get better. Uh, as an offensive unit and obviously as a team. So it was an evaluation period for me, obviously coming in new, uh, just meeting the guys, uh, trying to build around them, getting to know them, let, letting them get to know me. Uh, so it's been, a, I guess you say, a, a learning curve uh, for me, probably compared to some of the guys that's been on the staff from uh, previous years. Uh, but it's been fun. It's been exciting. Uh, it's a new opportunity, a new challenge. And, you know, to be able to do this here at my alma mater here at Clemson, uh, it, it truly is a dream come true. Uh, some that uh, that I don't take lightly, and some that I'm very appreciative of, and uh, looking forward to it. And, and like I said, we uh, we got some of our former guys that's getting ready uh, for the draft, so they they in and out of the building, training, uh, doing all their things that they need to do to get ready to ne- uh, make this next step uh, of their career and their life. Uh, so we're excited about the opportunity. Uh, so it's uh, it's been a fun a fun spring here uh, in Clemson, South Carolina. Yeah, and Alake, congratulations to you. I know you accepted that position to be the running backs coach for Clemson uh, this year. I know last year you were still working with the program in Clemson. So what a cool opportunity to be able to be a position coach for the the school you played for collegiately. I, I think that's so cool and probably so awesome to just be back and be helping guys who, who were in the same position that you were in when you were in college. Um, Eric, you know, you decided to go the route of of playing golf and being on TV talking about football. So what have you been up to lately? I know you just came back from a nice golf trip, but I'm sure you're also knee deep in getting ready for the NFL draft. Certainly a lot of prospects to study up on and a lot of ACC guys too that that could be coming out, heading to new teams and, and, and heading to a career in the NFL in a couple weeks here. Yeah, one of the beauties of not being in coaching and being in broadcasting, you get to be around football, but you truly get an offseason. So I have had a few uh, family vacations, some golf trips and whatnot. And during COVID times, these golf trips are a little friendlier than most vacations because you kind of isolate with a group of four people and stay at a cottage at a golf course. So that's a little bit better. But I get to enjoy a little bit of the downtime, but also I'm working on my podcast, What's Next with Eric Wood. And then also um, through this time, we have the FCS playoffs coming up through ESPN, um, and then we're covering spring game. So I was supposed to be at Pitt this weekend. I'm now going to be at Pitt next week uh, covering their team. I got to call three of their games this week, uh, this year. So um, a little bit, it'd be a little bit easier prep on that end. I covered University of Louisville's Pro Day a couple weeks ago, and I live in Louisville uh, majority of the time now. So that's an easy travel day. CJ, what was 
it like getting into coaching this past year or so and dealing with those hours? Because as a player, we would all leave the facility and the coaches are still there for four or five hours each night. What's that transition been like? Uh, it's actually been, I ain't going to say, want to say easier, but it's, it was very helpful that I was able to be on uh, staff last year as an un, uh, unpaid uh, grad assistant. So I'm, I was used to the hours being up here early, staying late. So, you know, I was telling somebody, I think that transition part was a lot easier compared to if I would have just not came in and didn't really understand the hours. Because like you said, as a player, you, you come in, you go to practice, you might do some treatment here and then you're gone. Uh, compared to these coaches, uh, to coaches now, you know, you come in early and you're leaving late uh, because you're game planning, you know, you're, you're doing over scripts, you're, you're correcting practices. So it was a, I think that transition was a whole lot smoother for me, uh, considering that I was on the staff uh, the previous year and, and able to go through that part. Um, but it, it was still a learning curve, uh, just trying to learn the, the ins and outs of everything, you know, how to, you know, get a meeting going, how to set your, you know, what drills you want to do each and every day. Uh, the reps, how many how many reps each guy's gonna take. So, you know, that was a that was a probably a little more tougher than than just you know the hours itself. DJ, was that something you wanted to do? You knew you wanted to to be a football coach after you were done with your NFL career. I think it's so interesting how former NFL players choose, you know, their their next career. Um, Eric, you went into the broadcast world and have had a lot of success in that. CJ, you're coaching at Clemson, one of the biggest college football schools to play for currently. So did you know immediately, like, hey, this is the route that I wanted to take? Or was it something that kind of happened by chance, maybe an opportunity that came up? Well, even while I was playing, I was able to volunteer and help this uh, local high school uh, with their track program called Liberty. Uh, so I was responsible for the, the sprinters. And I think that kind of gave me that itch. So I was doing that for like the last three or four years. And then, you know, me and Coach Winnie, uh, we always just had, you know, casual conversations over the years. Like, hey, whenever you're done playing, if you ever want to get into the profession, just let me know and, you know, I can walk you through those steps. So you know, when that time came, when that time came and I told him that, I, hey, I'm going to, you know, pursue my uh, my master's, uh, you know, he just, you know, happened to have a, a, a spot and told me that, hey, just come and join the staff, see how you like it, see if it's something that you truly want to do. Uh, and if it is, you know, we'll just go from there. And, you know, like for me, it was, a, I was able to come on last year and like I say, go through that whole transition as a, you know, as an undergrad, you know, uh, assistant and kind of get, get the backgrounds of what, what it takes to be a coach. And uh, I think that kind of gave me my, okay, this is truly something that I truly want to do. So I would say it goes all the way back to me just helping over at a, at a local high school, just really like you said earlier in the podcast is just one, just to give back, you know, share my experiences, my knowledge that I, that I've been able to gain over the course of my life. And just really, you know, just let these young kids know that there's more out there to life. if You just apply all the things that you need to, the, to be successful. That's awesome. And I think so many people decide to do that because they want to give back. And I, there's so many college athletes that I've talked to that just look up to their coaches and their coaches are the ones who have helped inspire them in so many different ways. I was reading on your bio and Dabo calls you one of the greatest ambassadors for the Clemson program. So kudos to you uh, for Dabo being able to say something like that, that, that high um, type of, you know, just it's obvious that he really likes you um so that's awesome to hear that someone like that was able to help you in in getting the position that you're currently in eric did you ever ever think about going the coaching route once once you got out of the nfl or were you kind of like all right i'm good here but i want to try the broadcasting route that that seems like a good route because you go from being an NFL player, which takes up so much of your time, and then you go into being a college football coach or go into, I don't know, maybe working in the front office for an NFL team, and it's not like you have any more time. I guess in my opinion, it's like you're going from something that takes up all your time to going to something else that takes up all of your time. So did you ever think about wanting to be a coach? Or were you like, nah, I'll try something else? No, I mean, coaching is something that I'm, I'm naturally drawn to. I loved being a leader within a football team and being around a team. And one of the things I miss so much uh, on the broadcast side of things is even though I'm calling games from a Buffalo Bills perspective, and even though it's, it's a challenge each week and you're competitive with your ESPN broadcast, I'm not a part of the team. Uh, there's like after the game, I'm not in a locker room. And, and I'm not saying I want to go join in the Bills locker room celebrations because I hadn't earned that. 
But each week I do feel that pull to, ooh, if I would have just put in the investment to put in those hours, I could be celebrating with them and enjoying that. And even in defeat, I don't feel the defeat. And that emotion is what makes football at such a high level um, so appealing to me. But for right now, at the point, the way my career ended and us transitioning back to Louisville, having a three and a five-year-old at home, for me, I just think it would be a selfish decision on my end because we would likely have to uproot CJ so fortunate to be able to be coaching at Clemson where he had been making a home. You know, for me, unless it was the University of Louisville, which it's not like there's a job offer sitting out there, we would likely be moving our family and I just transitioned them back to Buffalo. So that's where the broadcast side allows me to keep my foot in in the door, but not have to do the coaching side. And one thing I wanted to ask you, CJ, you mentioned splitting up the reps, and we're going to use this as a time to be able to transition into some of the Clemson pro prospects. But when you have so many NFL caliber players in this day and age of everybody wants to transfer, if I can't get on the field, I'm going to transfer because I had all these offers and I can go somewhere else. How tough is it to manage those reps? And maybe a little easier in your room because you had such an established starter in Travis Etienne. But I'd imagine at a place like Clemson, which has a top five recruiting class each of the last four years, that it's tough managing that talent. Yeah, it is tough managing the, uh, the talent. But I mean, as, like you said, as a coach, I mean, you just have to you have to do what's best for for the group. And you know, I mean, you just let the competition plays itself out. I know that's a cliche saying and you know coaches always say that like, hey it'll, it'll play itself out and you know and then when you get on this side it, it truly does plays itself out and you know and you don't want guys to leave your program because you know you didn't you know sign up sign them to, to come here and then all of a sudden leave uh but you know for some for you know some, some circumstances are just uncontrollable and you know different guys leave for different reasons I always was a guy hey it, wherever you go, you got to compete. You know, you can go to Clemson, to Alabama, wherever, you still going to have to compete. It ain't like you just, you know, you transfer, they're just going to give you the job because when you transfer, you go into a whole new situation where guys have probably been in that system three, four years. Now you have to compete with them. You you know, you're already behind because now you got to learn a new playbook. So to me, you know, why would I want to spend that type of energy instead of and just stay where I'm at and just compete for a job or, you know, what the case may be. But like I say, different guys have different circumstances, and, I, and tr trust me, I truly understand that. But I've always been the one that, hey, if you're going to be a competitor, you got to compete wherever you go, and you know, don't let you know competition shy you away from that. I mean, you talk about competing at like the highest level, and pro day is one of those opportunities to be able to put everything you have worked for since your college football season ended you put it on tape and you put it out in front of these scouts who are watching you in person and Clemson had theirs and Eric you said you covered Louisville's um I feel like from a college football perspective because there was no NFL scouting combine mm -hmm. the college football schools had another chance to basically put their school on display on ESPN, on NFL network. These are huge recruiting tools uh, for these big schools like Louisville and Clemson to be able to host a pro day that is covered by all these big networks and to be able to have prospects like Travis Etienne and like Trevor Lawrence who are having their pro day at Clemson. What was it like to host a pro day this year with no NFL scouting combine? I feel like it just takes the pro day to another level that pro days really haven't been looked at or sought after since this year, really? Uh, I would say, uh, you know, we do a tremendous job here at Clemson and, you know, each year that we do our pro day, you know, I think it's uh, first class, you know, uh, obviously with everything that's going on with COVID, you know, we had to make sure, you know, we had to follow, you know, our rules here on campus. And then obviously the NFL has their set of protocols that they have to abide by. So, I thought we did a tremendous job of making sure that everybody was safe. And then, like you say, guys just came in here. It's almost like you got that ice cream and then they actually you want whipped cream and, and cherry on the top. I think this is the part where you just put the cherry on the top because to me, the ice cream part is your season, the, the body of work that you have done, you know, over the course of your four years out of school, you know, so teams have all the tape that they need to see. Now it's just giving them just another validation point of, Hey, do this guy check off this last box that we need to see. And, you know, sometimes, guys do and sometimes you don't, you know, because it's, it, you know, it's easy for guys to get out there and look good in shorts and shirts, uh, but then you turn on the tape, it could be totally different. So I think it was a, a tremendous uh, job that we did here at Clemson for our pro days for our guys. And then it just gives some of those guys that's not the Travis Etienne, not, not the Trevor Lawrence, you know, it gives some, you know, guys like Amari Rogers or Cornell Powell, you know, 
for him to get out there and, and chance to showcase his skill in front of all these executives. So, you know, uh, it, it was great to have Trevor come back. I mean, a guy that truly doesn't really have to have a pro day, uh, for him to come back and throw to those guys and to give them opportunity to showcase their skills in front of these executives. That to me, that just speaks volume of his character. And then the same thing with Travis, for him to come here and have his pro day. I mean, he, he didn't really truly have to have a pro day. I mean, I think his body of work speaks for itself, but for him to come and have a pro day and have Adam Choice go through it with him, uh, that to me, that speaks again, a volume of his character because he, he, he understands the big pictures. Obviously, yeah, it's, you want to put your best foot forward, but also let me give opportunity to my brothers as well to, to showcase their skill set. Uh, in front of all these executives uh, that's going to be pre- that's just, that's going to be present here uh, at Clemson Pro Day. Yeah, and yeah. that that culture has been on full display since I've been covering the ACC the last couple of years. It's amazing uh, when you get on these production calls and you talk with a Trevor Lawrence, and he's the number one overall prospect, and he's probably the most cordial with his time and answers of anybody you speak with. You got Dabo Sweeney, uh, who's the you know coaching at the time that I covered the game this year, the number one coach in the country and he gives us 45 minutes as opposed to some coaches only give us 20 minutes. It's amazing the selfless culture that y'all have built down there. You mentioned uh, Travis Etienne a couple times and, and truly didn't need to do his pro day. Every, the, you know, he's, he's played at such a high level for so long there. The proof is in the pudding and, and you kept making that ice cream analogy. Uh, you got to be careful with a, a former fat boy uh, making those analogies because you got me a little excited, but um, tell, tell us why, Travis Etienne will be successful at the next level from a former Pro Bowl running back yourself. You can obviously judge running back talent. Honestly, uh, Eric, I think I think it's just you know he has a total package. You know he can you know uh, he can run between the tackles. He can run outside, and I think by him coming back this year, he really put on display his catching ability at the backfield. So now you know that becomes a nightmare matchup. You know for for defense because now if you split this guy wide, do you put your linebacker out there, do you try to leave your corner out there? And then that, that makes matchups better for other guys. So to me, he has a total package. You know, he has great balance. And then just his, you know, just his, his humbleness. I mean, he just such, he really don't understand how great he really is and truly don't, I don't think he does fully grasp like what he truly done in college football. Like the stuff he done, that's not normal. Like that's just not stuff you see each and every day or each and every year. Uh, so that, but that just speaks to the volume of the type of person that he is. He's always trying to get better. He always, you know, a, a team first guy. Uh, he wants his teammates to be success, successful. And, you know, the story I always talk about is the, the Boston College. You know, we have the, the trophy that we always present each and every year after the game. And, you know, Travis, obviously, uh, he won that trophy. But, you know, in the locker room, he presented that trophy to our, uh, to our uh, freshman quarterback, DG, DJ, uh, because he felt like DJ earned that trophy. So for him to give that trophy away, that validated for me what type of person he was. So I know his game going to translate. As you know, it's all about just getting to that right system, to that right fit, and then you kind of just let your skill set take over from there. So I'm excited. I'm, I'm looking forward to the draft. I'm anxious to see where all our Clemson guys go, uh, but, but especially uh, Travis being a former uh, running back. Yeah, I don't know. All those stories that you just said, it, it kind of sounds like he's the type of character guy that could fit on a Buffalo Bills team. Now, we've been tracking several mock drafts here in Buffalo, and a lot of the mock drafts think that the position that's going to be available late in the first round is going to be a running back. So I've seen Travis Etienne come across a lot of our mock drafts, as well as Najee Harris. I would have to say, based on Twitter, there's a lot more Travis Etienne fans uh, to Buffalo rather than Najee. Harris fans but we do have a, a not not so much crowded but we've got some guys in the running backs room and Devin Singletary Zach Moss we just brought Matt Breida on I don't know Eric and CJ you you think that ETN could possibly be a Buffalo Bill you think he could fit in here somewhere because the luxury that you have at number 30 right is and because the Bills have been addressing their needs in free agency and because of the season that they just had, you can go into the draft and you can go into that number 30 pick just taking the best available and not worrying about, hey, we actually really need this position instead of a running back. They have the luxury to be able to draft a running back who could be a pro bowler in a couple years. Yeah, I'll go first, and I'll, I'll make it easier for CJ because I don't know that he has the time to follow the Bills like I do at this point. <laughs> but, you know, I think when you look at it, if you get a guy that can rush the edge 
um, that's going to fall to number 30. That's probably a need you need to address, um, just being the fact that you have both your defensive ends in the final year of their deal in Mario Anderson and Jerry Hughes. So looking at the future, if you get a pass rusher there, then maybe you 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 take the trigger, you you pull the trigger there. But other than that, the way Brandon Bean has built this roster is that there's no glaring hole. So you can take a luxury pick, which he would be. You drafted running backs in the third round in the last two drafts. So you would think with the amount of assets that they've committed to that position the last two years, they would be dead set with that room. But with the way that Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean talked after the season about getting the running game going this following season in 2021, that I think that's led a lot of the, the experts out there to say, hey, a Travis Etienne could be the pick for them because he could be a game changer. And even if you have committed draft picks, and I'll use this as a way to transition to CJ, even at times you've committed draft picks to a position when you get a game changer at the position, sometimes you got to pull the trigger. The Buffalo Bills had drafted Marshawn Lynch in the first round and had another quality running back in Fred Jackson. Yeah. Well, when you look at the situations within a team, Marshawn wasn't going to come back to Buffalo when his contract was up. You also had Fred Jackson, who was old when he first got on the Bills, much less five or six years in. I'm kidding, Fred. He's a good guy. <laughs> it's like, but, you calling out Fred? <laughs> no, I love Fred. But you got Fred Jackson. Now you can give him a compliment with a guy who would end up being a pro bowler and I believe his second season with the Bills. So you draft the C.J. Spiller at a time when everyone say, holy cow, you got Fred Jackson and Marshawn Lynch. Why would you draft C.J. Spiller? You don't need him. Well, then he becomes a pro bowler and it makes a whole lot more sense. When you look at it, CJ, and you think about adding a running back to a, you know, we'll call it a crowded room in a situation like that, especially in the NFL, that could, that could raise the level of play from everybody in that room and on offense though. Correct. Oh, you totally correct. And you hit it right on. And I, and I remember having that conversation with a, with the GM at the time, uh, coach buddy Nixon, you know, I, I quite frankly asked him, you know, what made you choose me? Because you had a guy, like you said, you had Marshawn Lynch, had the made, I want to say, had the, been a thousand uh, yard rusher. You had Fred Jackson. So, what made you choose me at that number nine pick? And, you know, his exact words were, you was the best player available. And he said, I always going to go with the best player available. Uh, and I say that, you know, the Buffalo Bills, if Travis having to fall to number 30, to me, he's the best player available. Why not do that? And to me, especially the running back position, because you can never have enough good running backs. They almost ain't going to put them in the same category as the quarterbacks, but it just it's almost right there because, you know, you know injuries going to happen throughout the season, and you want to make sure that you have enough guys in that room that, if hey, if one guy goes down, that the play is not going to drop. So, to me, if Travis is there at that pick, you know, why not go ahead and make that room better? And I think, to me, from a personality uh, standpoint, I think he fits perfectly into that Bills, that Orchard Park field, just blue collar, hungry, want to win. Uh, he 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 fits what Buffalo is looking for, and like you said, they it's not like they're looking for a ton because they right down the on the edge of making that next leap of you know get hopefully get into a Super Bowl. And you know, to me, I I don't think it's I never had an issue with having enough playmakers. You can never go wrong with having enough playmakers on your roster. So if if, if that guy if that type of talent is right there available for you. I think you kind of you kind of lean that way, but hey, that's why uh, Coach Sean McDermott and, and, and Dean they get paid <laughs> what they get paid to make those tough decisions, and I know they'll do what's best for the organization and, and for that fan base, and I'm, I'm excited to see uh, who they're choosing. You know, hopefully it is Travis, but you just never know. But you know, that's just one that that last piece of advice that Coach uh, Nick's always gave me is that hey, you was the best player available, and I always pick the best player available. Wow, you might be convincing me to to be a Travis Etienne fan now with the number number thirty um, pick that we have in the first round. But I love that connection that you made, Eric, because that's so true. As you, as you look at the roster at the time in twenty ten when you got drafted, CJ, it was a crowded running backs room, and it was crowded with some like household names: Marshawn Lynch, Fred Jackson, CJ Spiller. And you put all those guys in a room, and, and you think, how can we make this work? And then in 2012, you go and have your pro ball season. You, you rush for 1,200 yards. You have 460 almost receiving yards, and you average six yards per attempt, which any team would be 
over the moon to have on their roster to see a running back gain six yards a carry at the NFL level. But we're talking about the running game in the NFL. How do you guys think that has changed over the last couple of seasons? Eric, you blocked for running backs and of course a quarterback, but now especially with the bills and the league that we're seeing and the type of players that we're seeing come out of college football, seems like the league has gone in a lot of ways for a lot of teams. Now, not every single team, but look at the bills. They're a team that likes to throw the ball because of their wide receivers and because of what Josh Allen offers. So how have you seen the transition in the NFL, maybe from when you guys were on the team together versus now where we're at in 2020 and 2021, Eric, you can start. Yeah, you know, for, for throughout my time in Buffalo, the message was often that you can't have a great passing offense in Buffalo because of the wind, because of the cold. So we're going to have to beat people with physicality, running the football and defense. And Brian Dayball last year threw that out the window, played more five wide receiver sets or four wide receiver sets than anybody else in the NFL, just blew the doors off of that philosophy. And the Bills went from 26 in the NFL on offense to top five in most statistical categories. So you make that jump, but you still can't get it done in the AFC championship game. And when Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott got on the mic, a lot of that was blaming the run game. And I think in this day and age of the NFL, with the way that they're not allowing contact at the cornerback position, that the game sets up for throwing the football. And so you need to be able to throw the football, but in the same sense, you have to be able to run the ball efficiently. And when you run the ball efficiently, it's got to be over four yards of carry. And when you have a passing offense, it should be around five because the defense is in more of a pass rush mode, defend the pass mode. So that's where a lot of their um, displeasure was with. And, you know, when I was with Buffalo, um, a lot of times we had a at least a 50-50 offense, especially with Chan Gailey when CJ was there, 50-50 run and pass. It was very balanced towards the end of my career when we had Greg Roman running the ship and Anthony Lynn and even Rick Dennis in my final year that we were running the ball at a really, really high clip, uh, top five in the NFL, all three years in a row running the football. So we were running it at a very high clip towards the end, but now you're seeing, and that's very friendly on a defense. And when you have a defensive head coach like Rex Ryan, and even Sean McDermott in his first year, they love that. You know, they love to be able to control the game. And every defensive coordinator will tell you there's nothing more demoralizing than getting the ball run down your throat. You know, giving up 40 stinks, but if you get physically manhandled for 60 minutes, that is the worst feeling in the NFL. So while maybe the philosophies have changed, and especially in Orchard Park, and I think it's been proven now that you can have a great passing game in Orchard Park, while I think it's changed, there's still uh, a, a need, especially for an efficient run game. And I would assume CJ would say similar things. Yeah. And also, CJ, with that, before you answer, I mean, you look at Clemson, right? The, Clemson is an offense that is moving on to the NFL because Travis Etienne is moving on and, and Trevor Lawrence is moving on and Amari Rogers is moving on. And so you have this offense that you had in Clemson, which Trevor Lawrence has a hell of an arm, but you also have a running back in Travis Etienne who had back-to-back 1,600-yard -back rushing seasons. So how do you see that fitting into the NFL uh, with how the NFL looks now today, specifically talking about the Buffalo Bills? I mean, I think it's one of those things I hear around the NFL is a copycat league, and I think you're starting to see that the college game is starting to translate over into the NFL. And like you say, these guys that's in this on this college level, you know, once they get to the NFL – Obviously, the language will be different, but some of the schemes will still be the same. You know, it's still about running, blocking, and, and tackling the guys. So, you know, I think that's kind of making that transition easier for these guys now compared to, like uh, Eric said earlier, you know, when, you know, we was there with, you know, Coach Gailey, you know, we knew that, hey, later in the season, we're going to have to throw this, we're going to have to run this football because of the wind that's up there in Orchard Park, you know. But now that, you know, Buffalo has a, a great quarterback in Josh Allen, the guy that has a tremendous big arm that can, that can whip the ball through the wind, you know, probably, you know, hey, we don't have to run it as much as we wanted to, but if we need to run it, we can run it. And I think that's kind of where the Bills at. I think if you can control the game, especially when you're talking about the playoffs, the playoffs is all about controlling the clock, moving, field position. So if you can run the ball effectively, uh, that that's a bonus for your offense. And then also it keeps the defense honest because now if you say you have a guy like Travis, they don't know if he's in the game, okay, if you're going to hand it to him or you're going to, Put it, or you're gonna uh, throw it to him out the backfield. You know, a guy that can go make it happen. 
you know, to me that that's the advantage for offensive uh, offensive unit. So, like I say, it's the game that changed a little bit, but not a ton. Uh, but I just know specifically up there in Orchard Park, I know how that win is. And obviously, like I said, you got a, a big arm guy in Josh Allen, but uh, it's nothing better than being able to look the offensive lineman in the eye and letting them guys know, hey, y'all keep blocking, let's keep running. I know that was always the thing with, with Eric. You know, those guys always done a tremendous job up front of, you know, especially late in the season of blocking it. Hey, and then it was my our job as running backs to reward those guys for those blocks, you know. So it wasn't always maybe the 50 and 60 yard runs, but hey, these five and these six, like like Eric said, that demoralizes a defense because now you're running the ball at will. And, and there's nothing, and there's nothing more happier as an offensive running back to know that, hey, there's nothing you can do defensively to stop us from running this football at this moment. Well, there was a lot of times where CJ simply made us look really good up front too. So that goes <laughs> both ways. And and I appreciated him giving us some love. I, the Bills aren't going to draft Trevor Lawrence. We got our quarterback of the future by all indications and picking at 30. There's no way he falls to there. But in my time covering the Bills, and I mentioned how mature and gracious he was of his time earlier, but to you, what separates him besides the obvious talent? What separates him from the other quarterbacks in this draft class? I just think that he just has a fully appreciation of the the gifts that he's been given. Uh, he understands it. He he makes everybody around him better. Uh, and that's a special trait to have, especially when you're talking about the quarterback position, because, you know, sometimes those guys can be known as being selfish. But, you know, with Trevor, he wants everybody around him to be successful. And he up he uplifts their play. They know, hey, this guy is going out there giving it his all. Then I have to take my – my player, you know, prime example for me was always Ryan Fitzpatrick, you know, because I knew even on run plays, you will see Ryan out in front trying to get a, trying to cut a guy. And you normally don't see that in NFL quarterback. But to me, that, to me personally, that's in the message, man, this guy's giving it everything he got on each and every play. So for me, I need to step my game up. So, you know, when I need to pass pro, I need to make sure that I'm giving him the same as that, you know, respect and the credit that he's doing in the run game. So, and I think that's the same thing with Trevor. You see that, you know, in running game, he's trying to make sure that he's influencing. If it's a bootleg or naked, he's trying to make sure that he's having that linebacker put eyes on him. So he's not taking no plays off. And I think that's kind of where it separates him, that he just elevates everybody else's game around him to a a whole new level. And one more quick one on Clemson, um, because some of the Bills fans aren't going to want to hear all about Clemson. Uh, But one of the reasons that Bills fans love Josh Allen so much in the offensive line and everybody else is Josh Allen's doing a lot of the similar things that Fitzy was doing back in the day, putting his body on the line. I spoke to Ryan Fitzpatrick about it, and Fitz was like, dude, I love Josh Allen just watching him play and watching him compete and trying to take on linebackers because I feel like for for a while I was the only quarterback trying to do those things. But give Bills fans out there two names to watch over the next few years um, that Clemson's going to put in the top five. I can think of one. Actually, I can think of two on the D-line right now at the top of my head, but I want to hear what you got to say. Oh, well, I mean, obviously, when you're talking defensive, uh, on the defensive side of the ball, I mean, obviously, Brian Brzee, if everything goes as planned, this guy's going to have the potential to be a, a top five, top ten pick just from his just natural instincts, his, his skill set. I mean, it's just off the charts. Uh, and then, you know, you look at our quarterback, you know, DJ Ungulangle, he's going to have a chance to hopefully be a top five, top 10 pick when that time comes. Um, then you look at our receivers. I mean, these guys, man, it's, you got Frank Lasting, you got Justin Ross, uh, man, you got Joseph Nagata, man. It, I mean, there's some some scary dudes in there. And then the position I coach, the running backs, uh, I mean, you got a you got a Will Shipley here, a freshman that's, that's turning heads. You got a Kobe Pace that reminds you so much of a Nick Chubb type. Um, and then you got a, a Lynn J. Dixon, a guy that's, you know, put him in space, let him try to make guys miss and do his thing. Um, you got a Chaz Malusi. So, I mean, there's some guys that's on this roster that you like, if they just stay the course and do the things that they need to do, they're going to have opportunity to, to play at the next level. But, I mean, there's still so much unknown and unseen. But those would be, I would say, Brian Brzee and probably DJ would be the two top two dames that I would say to keep an eye on over the next several years. Eric, would you agree with that? What what were your two names that that stood out to you? I, I agree. And then Miles Murphy, oh, the yes. other dude on the defensive line. So I covered them early in the season last year, second game of the year, I think. And I mean, I'm I'm standing down there on the field, and they these two are freshmen, 
Brzee and Murphy are freshmen and they look like NFL defensive linemen at 18 year olds. I'm like, there's not like, there's not many dudes in the country like this. It's, it was unbelievable. And they were playing the Citadel and the Citadel runs the option and they're cutting legs out. And I'm t- I was talking to CJ the day before the game. I'm like, man, you need to tell those guys to get them hands out in front of them, keep those guys off their knees. Cause those two are just big time prospects. And then, I mean, when you look at Clemson's receiver group, you know, I'm not saying they're all top 10, top 30, um, you know, first round draft picks. But when you just look at them in person, it is unbelievable. They're like all cut from the same cloth. They're 6'2 to 6'4. They're all six or they're all 205 to 220 pounds. They can run like the wind. It's, It's truly unbelievable. I think we're seeing like a new wave of wide receivers that are starting to come into the NFL. I mean, you look at last year's draft class and it was touted as a very deep wide receiver class in the second round. And it's the same thing this year. You can find some of the exact same guys who can maybe offer even a little bit more than some of the players that were drafted in the first and second round last year. Shoot. We got one later in Gabriel Davis, who is going to be a great player for the Buffalo bills that played collegiately at at UCF but when I talk about the draft I mean you guys were both first round picks what do you remember from draft night this is going to be an exciting night of course for for many men in a couple weeks whose lives are changed when they see that name their own name flash across the screen and when they get that call from their new NFL team so when you guys think back to when that happened for each of you what are some of the memories that that aren't going to fade away in your mind CJ you can go first oh I mean the first memory is uh leaving the hotel and and getting in the uh, SUV and heading over uh, to Radio City Hall and when you get in there and you see Barry Sanders sitting in in the back seat in the passenger car and this is a, a guy that you idolized growing up and now you're having a chance to talk to him for like 15, 20 minutes before you get there and kind of ask questions about, you know, what to expect at the next level. You know, how did you take care of your body? What did you do in certain situations? So for me, for one, that would be one of the memories I'd never forget. And then just with my family, you know, it was something that, you know, experience that, you know, we'll cherish for the rest of our lives, going up there on stage, taking the picture as a, as a family picture. Uh, and then uh, obviously the when you see that 716 number that popped up on my screen, I knew I knew I was gonna be a Buffalo Bill, and to have you know Chris Jenkins right there uh, taking me through doing different interviews at the time, and then obviously getting to 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 one Bills drive the next day and just meeting the whole organization and seeing the excitement uh, throughout that building. Uh, those those are things that you just don't don't forget. Those are things that just stick to you that just stick to you for the rest of your life. So I mean, it was a couple things for me, but those are just some of the few that that I always remember around this time of the year. And I just always think, man, just how time flies, but those memories, they last forever. And Eric, what about you? What are some of the memories that stick out to you? And also, we can talk about this after, but any draft mishaps, things that you didn't think would happen that actually happened, or you know, some advice to some of these guys who could be going in the first round? Well, I'll say this, back when I got drafted in the first round, they didn't bring that many guys to New York. They would bring three or four guys. So I was not one of those guys invited. I was just hanging out uh, with my family, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife and and one of my buddies, really small crew there because I knew it'd be a high stress day. I knew I wasn't going in the top 15 pick. So it was going to be some waiting around. There would be some anxiety. So I didn't want to be around a huge crew. Well, that night we ended up celebrating pretty good with a big group of people. Well, the next morning, I had to fly up to Buffalo. I didn't even own a suit at the time. So, you know, because we weren't at the draft, the Bills had two first-rounders, neither of them at the draft. Well, we did our big number one jersey uh, presentation in Buffalo, and our team president and GM at the time, Russ Brandon, you know, handed us our jerseys. And I'm wearing an untucked button-down shirt and jeans and a hat. And Aaron Maven's in like a three-piece pinstripe suit, looks like, you know, custom suit, looks incredible. And I, you know, I look halfway hung over. I got a ball cap on and an untucked shirt. I'm like, that is the most casual anyone's ever been getting their number one Jersey on the stage, but we always cherish it, uh, that memory and just kind of shows where I was at at that point in my life where I didn't even own a suit at the time. Cause we traveled to games and, you know, a windbreaker or whatever the team gave us in college. And it was the last thing on my mind. And 
you know, there was nothing I was going to get off the rack that would have fit me that next morning anyway. So we flew up to Buffalo. Uh, and now those first rounders, they all get their private jet to the team. You know, I was on a non-direct Delta flight up there. And, uh, you know, but it was it was a truly special time. I love that. I need to uh, dig up that picture. I'm sure you still have it, but we've got to find it somewhere uh, to see what it looks like. But yeah, that's a good piece of advice. You know, maybe maybe dress up a little bit if you have the clothes to dress up on your first day with your new team. But then you guys get drafted. I know you're drafted a, a year apart, but then you are on the Buffalo Bills together for a couple of seasons, more than a couple of seasons. Uh, CJ, you were with the Bills from 2010 to 2014. So what was it like to play together? I mean, what memories do you guys have during those seasons? And specifically, any funny memories really is what we're looking for. Yeah, uh, I mean, it, it was fun, honestly. That was, you know, Buffalo was really, it fit, it fit my personality, just small town, you know, grew up in a small town, played college ball in a small town. Now I'm playing professional. Uh, a dream come true in a small town. But uh, the first day, as soon as you get there, you understand that, hey, this is a blue collar team. They don't care, you know, about, you know, all that fancy stuff. They just want to know, can you, are you coming here to work and are you going to come here to try to help us win? And, you know, the thing that you love about the Bills fan is, hey, they can talk about you, but other fans, you might not say nothing about Bills players. So I always heard those stories, you know, going to the grocery stores like, hey, you know, we had to set a couple of these opposing fans straight because, yeah, we're not letting nobody else talk about our players and, you know, the, the, the fondest memory, I want to say it might have was 12, 11 or 12 when we got off to that hot streak. And, you know, you always hear, you know, the cliche of, like, you can feel the city buzzing. Like, you truly could feel that city buzzing. Like, it was, you know, had there been such a, a while since we had won so many games consecutively like that. And you can truly feel that season, that, I mean, that city buzzing. Uh, obviously, we didn't finish that season the way we wanted to. I don't think we was a, a mature team at the time. We didn't understand how to bottle that success and what took us to get there. But truly, that was one of the best feelings of my professional career is just truly just walking around that city and just feeling the buzz because of the hot streak that we was on. But like I said, obviously, we didn't finish it in. Just playing with Eric and them, and it was just so much leadership, you know, uh, on that team uh, from guys that, that hadn't been in the league that long, but guys just trying to step up and just trying to make each and everybody better uh, because just the pride that you took in when you put on that uniform just wanting to be a winner and just bring so much winning to that fan base because of you know what they had to been through uh, to the uh, in previous years. So I think it was just you know it was just one of those things that you know if you ever have a chance to to play in Buffalo, it, it'd be one of those experiences that you'll never forget because it's so much family oriented. And then with our team, we are, we hung out with each other so much because there's nothing pretty much nothing else there to do. So you you have to become better with your teammates. So you get to know your teammates on a no, another personal level. And I think that's kind of what separated us from a lot of the teams around the league because we knew each other on a personal level. Yeah, that 2011 season was truly one of my favorite memories playing football. That's a hot start to the season. Then Fitz ends up breaking his ribs. Fred breaks his leg. I yeah. turn my t ACL. We, we had so many injuries. And, you know, when I look back at that season, you know, I don't – it, it may have been a lack of maturity because we were a very young team at the time, mm -hmm. but we also were getting, we were running through coaches so much. We were always drafting for different schemes. So we had never, we could never build that depth to withstand injuries throughout a season. And that's where you're seeing the fruits of the bills labor now of sticking with John McDermott, Brandon Bean, they're drafting for the same schemes over and over and over. And they were able to build this incredible depth. And they've also done a great job of drafting quality players and it's funny, CJ, you probably get roasted by Bills fans for saying there's nothing to do with Buffalo. And, and when we say <laughs> that, it, like, you know, because because I've been actually roasted. On, I was doing um, uh, a, a, a national radio spot and said something similar. But I said more along the lines of like, we get to hang out with each other in Buffalo because we don't live an hour apart from each other. There isn't. 35 minutes of traffic to go to someone's house. We'll go hang out at other people's houses. But man, for, for those out there, and people are realizing it now that the bills are just attracting all these free agents out there. But it's like, okay, during the season, what all are you going to do besides go to the movies, go out to eat and hang out with the guys on the team? If you're doing much more than that, you're probably not going to keep your job anyway. So, you know, playing in a city like Miami where there might be more distractions, there's more pro sports teams going on, maybe the NBA season started, whatever it may be, like that stuff's going to distract you. And when our season's over, when we're not working, I can be in where you can end up wherever you want to be. And 
Also, the fact that training camp isn't a million degrees was an absolute blessing because I was a cramper. I could cramp <laughs> in 70 degree weather. So if I would have went through like a Houston summer camp, I probably would have cramped up every single day. Yeah, you was definitely a, a big sweater, E Wood. And, and, and like like I said, when I when I said when I say that this is not like taking a shot, because I, but I think that's what makes Buffalo so unique because it draw it makes you get to know your teammate on a whole nother personal level, and then also it just it lets you connect more with your fans compared to like you say a Miami where there's so many distractions, the city is so big, so you really can't co- connect with your fans. But you know, in Buffalo, you truly can connect with your fans, and when you go out, you know, to a restaurant is not like they hounding you compared to other places. So, no, I'm not saying that because, you know, people ask me all the time, hey, who was your favorite? If you had to pick one place or one fan base that you say was your best, I always say Bill's Mafia because I know that they was going to show up on the home games and I knew they was going to show up on the away games. So to me, it's, it's one of those things where, yeah, it, it not, might not be much to do in the city just because of how it's built. But to me, that's what makes the uniqueness of Buffalo. And that's what that's why I think it always be a special place uh, for me and for guys that come and play there. Yeah, I think the the word special place, it's becoming way more obvious now that it's a special place to play at because, Eric, you already alluded to this, but the type of free agents that are coming to Buffalo now. I mean, we are signing players that were starters last year as players who are depth players. That wasn't the case a couple years ago with this team. And and you're just seeing how good the Bills can get in free agency and how good they're going to get through the draft because the scouting department is so talented at what they do. But one thing that I love that has been a huge difference from this year to last year, we go to the NFL scouting combine last year and I'm asking some of these prospects in Indy, you know, what do you know about Buffalo? Would you want to play for Buffalo? And there were countless responses of guys saying, I don't know anything about Buffalo. I know it's cold there. And it, the responses weren't overwhelmingly excited about this Buffalo Bills team. Now, some players did know about Josh Allen, but it's not like before last season, he was anything super exciting yet. It was like, yeah, there's potential there, but what's going to happen in year three? The Bills have this third season where they with Josh Allen where they make it to the AFC championship game and this year there's no scouting combine but we're still doing zoom interviews with a lot of these prospects and you ask them about the Buffalo Bills this year and it is night and day with their responses these prospects are saying I would love to play for Buffalo Josh Allen is going to be an MVP quarterback or I would love to play in Leslie Frazier's defense the Bills defense is, is always a top defense in the NFL so I think it's really cool to hear the rhetoric in the college football landscape to even change about an NFL team over a season just because the Bills were able to make it to the AFC championship game but CJ watching from afar last year tuning in when you could what do you think about this new Buffalo Bills era under Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean and just what they were able to do last season. I know they fell short losing to the Kansas city chiefs in the AFC championship game, but hopefully they can get back there this season and, and have the guys to beat Patrick Mahomes in that offense. Oh, I'm, I'm excited what coach uh, McDermott and, and, uh, and Beam are doing there. I think they took this organization to a whole new level. And I think uh, Eric, he mentioned it earlier uh, at the beginning, you know, in our playing days, it was always a coaching change. So it wasn't never really true stability, but now you have that stability. And that's what you need when you're trying to build a winning franchise. And they have that there now. And to see, you know, the defense was kind of a little ahead of the offense uh, when they first got there, but now it's kind of the offense kind of got caught up. So now they're a balanced team. And I think, like you say, you just a couple of pieces here and there away from taking that next step and hopefully advancing to the Super Bowl. And Whenever you get to, you know, I never experienced going to an AFC championship game, but I can pretty imagine whenever you get a chance to play there, now you know what the expectation is. Now how can I be better to make sure that next time we're in this position that we get, we, we, we finish it off? Uh, because every year you start over, you, you hope to get back there, but, you know, you got to put the work in. So if you do get back there, what can you do to make sure that you're able to finish it off this year? And I think they have all the pieces and they're getting all the free agents that they, that they need to make sure that, hey, we do get this opportunity to get back at that stage again, that we finish this thing off the right way. 
And Eric, what makes you excited about this year's draft with the possibilities that the Buffalo have with a first round pick, second round, third round, at least right now, you know, anything can happen on draft night once the clock starts ticking and we're into the first selection of the draft with, you know, how people are drafted. We could trade up, we could trade down, we could do anything in this year's draft. But a lot of people have said, this is the place that you want to be in. You want to be picking late in the first round because if you're picking late in the first round, you know you have a pretty damn good team and you know you don't really have a lot of needs because you already have that quarterback. So what's some of the excitement for you since you cover this team so much surrounding this year's NFL draft? Yeah, well, I think with, when you look at Brandon Bean, you always have to be ready for trades within the draft. I was at the draft two years ago when we selected Cody Ford. I was sitting back in the green room waiting to make the pick on stage, thought I had about 15 picks to go and they said nope you're up next let's go bud and so you have to be ready with Brandon Bean because when he identifies a player and he gets a sense that somebody might want to grab him he'll trade assets away these draft assets away to go get a guy that he knows can come in and make an impact so what's excited me is you know with me just covering the bills for the NFL side I need to be paying attention the entire time maybe not the first five six pick because bills aren't really in that quarterback situation to go after one right now so outside of the top 10 maybe though watch out for the buffalo bills to potentially make a move if they see someone that could get them over their hump because when you look at the way this bills team is built with josh allen still on his rookie contract and you're able to pay a lot of guys even with the reduction in the salary cap you still have a lot of guys you're able to pay because you have the quarterback on a low number if he identifies somebody that he thinks could truly be a game changer, and I mentioned earlier a pass rusher, it wouldn't surprise me to see the Bills move up to go get a pass rusher in the draft that he thinks could make an impact on this season to get them over that hump. Because you look at it last year, they're one game away with a 9 nothing lead to start the game away from being in the Super Bowl. And so, you know, that's what excites me, it, you know, and the draft's going to be fun. It's going to be fun to watch how it all shakes out for all the other teams. You're looking at teams in the division. What are the Chiefs who, who seem to be your main competition in the AFC? Who are they going to go after? You know, they've, they've cut a number of offensive linemen moving on from their salaries. Do they address the offensive line early in the draft? How are they going to do it? There's so much that we could get on here. Yeah, and there's so much more that we will continue to get on here because, Eric, I'm sure we're going to have you on a couple weeks for a roundtable where we break all of this down. But, CJ, Eric, I don't want to keep you guys much longer. CJ, I know you are probably very busy. I know you said you just wrapped up spring spring camp, spring practices, but there's still a lot to be done, I'm sure, as, as the NFL draft is just approaching closer and closer. April 29th will be here soon enough. Just appreciate the time, guys. Appreciate the insight cj again congrats again with the gig with clemson it's it's awesome to see you back at the school that that you made your name at uh thank you all guys for having me and like i said i'm, I'm looking forward to this draft and trust me i'm gonna be i'm gonna be tuned in to see who the bills pick at that 30th pick and uh like i said i'm always be a, a bills uh, bills uh fan uh, for the rest of my life uh, because it truly was a dream come true uh, when they selected me i guess almost 11 years ago Always a pleasure, CJ. Thanks, Maddie, uh, for running the show on this one. Yeah, of course. Guys, make sure you keep tuned in to Bill's Pod Squad, all of our listeners, because like I said, yeah, we're going to have a lot of pre-draft episodes coming up the next couple of weeks. So we'll tell you what positions uh, that the Bills should be drafting for, some of our opinions on that, uh, and hear from some draft experts and former players like Eric Wood as we start to set the table for the NFL draft coming up shortly. But thanks, guys, for the time. Appreciate the listeners. Everybody have a great rest of their week. All right. Thank you, Maddie. Thank you, Eric. Thank you.